I think a lot of it now we're sort of a year and a half in is a lot of emotional support rather than innovation because we know we're sort of we can sort of see the light at the end of the tunnel it's just about getting us all there. Welcome to Upon Arrival, a show that uncovers stories and strategies that make up all the moving parts of business events tourism with me Adelaine Ung. We're going on a bit of an adventure today or well close maybe a virtual one. At the moment, Melbourne is doing lockdown number six, barely a week after coming out of lockdown number five. Sydney's doing even worse, and you bet there's finger pointing going in every direction for who to blame for the mess. This week, I'm speaking with Alex Hill, president of Adventure Tourism Victoria, one of the more vocal groups trying to get the government to do more to help the industry stay afloat. And as I found out, when he's not ranting about the situation, He's actually quite excited to talk about his passion for youth tourism. But youth? Are they willing to fork out good money for two-week hotel quarantine stays to satisfy their sense of adventure? Let's find out. Alex, welcome. Thank you for having me. I'll confess first up, I'm not very fit, so my version of adventure tourism is when a Harley driver picks me up from my hotel and then gives me the scenic route <laughs> to Bondi Beach, which is kind of the story behind my podcast cover art. And it's pretty obvious, no exercise involved. Yeah. But, you know, you sound like the rough and tumble kind of guy because you're also connected to the backpacking scene. Yeah. I understand. So what is your story of how adventure tourism started as a passion for you and then sort of morphed into your work now yeah sure so I, I suppose it started off when like a lot of us do we all book a ticket to Europe or London or something like that when we're in our early 20s or late teens and uh, you head over there for a summer or two and you jump on a working holiday visa in Europe or the UK and then uh, you come back and you want to do more and you know I, I was able to do that a couple of times I spent four years in Europe chasing the sun coming back to Australia back and forth and then uh, I ran out of visas that I could get and decided that... <laughs> Is that possible? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, decided that um, let's try and investigate the industry here in Australia. So I started in North Queensland, uh, running a little backpackers on the beach up there in Mission Beach. And then sort of through a little bit of career diversion, I ended up in Europe again. And back to Australia now in 2017, and I landed the role of uh, general manager of Base St Kilda, which is a, um, a property in St Kilda, 250 beds, big bar, uh, commercial kitchen, a very fun place to be. And I suppose that is what keeps a lot of us in the industry and coming back to it is it's fun. You've got the youth from all over the world checking in. It's their first day in Australia. Um, they've got energy to burn. They've got a big happy smile across their face and they just want to have fun. And, and that's what keeps us in the industry at the moment, I suppose, just you know, through this pandemic is we know that soon planes are going to start touching down again and all these kids from all over the world are going to come to Australia and uh, they're going to have a big smile on their face and we're going to be here to greet them again. Because I was going to ask you what you loved most about adventure tourism, you yeah. know, whether it's the discovery of a new place or a new activity. Is it yeah. the adrenaline? Yeah. Is it the social aspect? But it sounds like it's all of it, isn't it? Yeah, it's all of it. But it, it's, the, it's the energy as well. It's the energy and, it, and it's, it's all these young people from all over the world just looking to have fun. Is there an adventure activity you would never do? Like I did skydiving, yeah. scariest and yeah. most thrilling thing I ever did, but I would never bungee jump. I yeah. mean, I've seen my friends do it and it is the hardest thing to do 
to willfully push yourself off and free fall. I mean, what about you? What would you never do? Oh, look, I'm the same as you. I've bungee jumped once and I've skydived a couple of times. The bungee jumping was much harder than the skydiving. Um, I probably wouldn't skydive again now that I've got a few more years on me. I think I'm a little bit smarter. So I'll probably stay on the ground for that one now. What would be your best adventure experience you've ever had? I mean, your most brag-worthy experience. Um, It's an Australian one when uh, I was in Exmouth, just off the sort of north Western Australian coast and um, diving with whale sharks, which is an unbelievable experience itself. But at the same time, it was also um, humpback whale migrating season and you're in the water and we had hundreds of humpback whales breaching around us. You know, some of them were only 10 or 15 metres away. It was happening. So that was a pretty amazing experience. Wow. I mean, how do you even describe an experience like that? I mean, you're this tiny person and you've got yep. this... You said hundreds yeah, of they humpback were there, they were They were everywhere. They were everywhere. You could see them, you know, a couple of k's away in the distance, you know, with the water spraying in the air. And then one one came up 10 metres away from us um, and breached right in front of us. It was amazing. And no fear at all? Uh, there, was, there was a little bit of fear after that one because they're pretty big. It's like <laughs> a bus jumping out of the water at you. Um, yeah, the experience was unreal. Well, those were the fun days. How has adventure tourism been impacted since COVID hit? I think it would be hard to find a sector that has been impacted more than us. Everyone knows there are no international flights landing at the moment in Australia for commercial reasons, and it doesn't look like they're going to in the next couple of months, at least anyway. So with the lack of complete lack of flights landing, couple that with intra and interstate border closures and the decimation of consumer confidence because of all those things, then we've had our industry turned off, essentially. And there are a number of backpackers and mobile people still in the country that are staying in our hostels. However, that number is not going up. And from a peak of about 250,000, 300,000 a couple of years ago per year, we're looking at sort of 20 or 30,000 backpackers left in the country at the moment, um, which are mainly concentrated in Queensland. You know, a lot of governments got behind to promote domestic tourism, seeing as international borders were closed. I mean, a lot of money was spent on those uh, campaigns. Yeah, exactly. Um, You know, for some businesses it worked, but for for businesses that were geared towards the international market, it's really hard to pivot 180 degrees to a domestic market, especially when your product might not necessarily fit with a domestic audience as well. I have several properties in Melbourne, and we geared some of those towards domestic stays. You know, we, we turned a couple of our floors into hotel rooms. You know, they work for a period of time. However, we can only do so much if state borders are closed and if regional and metro borders are, are enforced, you know. And with all that, you have consumer confidence, which is decimated at the moment. It stops people from holidaying. It is pretty tough. And I know you keep in touch with your counterparts across the country. Are some doing better than others? It depends. You know, Melbourne had a really tough time last year. And my colleagues within the same company up and down the East Coast outside of Victoria were having an okay time. It wasn't pre-pandemic times, but it was achievable. Up until lockdown, I think, four, Melbourne was turning around. It was as good as it's been for a year. But as soon as that sort of May uh, lockdown hit, it just wiped it all away. The office workers went back home um, and stayed home. 
And since May, we've had two lockdowns or three, if you include the May one, and we just haven't been able to build that momentum. And, and that's what it's all about is the confidence rides on momentum and you can't have one without the other. You were saying it's really hard to pivot, you know, something like adventure tourism, but I'm just wondering if you've seen some innovative ideas, you know, whether it's in Australia or elsewhere, of how adventure businesses have found a way to remain relevant and engaging, you know, in desperate times called for yep. desperate measures. And sometimes I've seen some of the most brilliant ideas come out of these kinds of situations. Yep, we, um, our, um, our secretary of um, Adventure Tourism Victoria, John, has a walking tour company. He pivoted his whole product to an online product that he marketed to the US. So what he would do is he would set himself up with some really fancy AV equipment and he would live stream walking tours into people's living rooms back home in the US. He's an American himself. And he was able to sort of move his business towards a totally digital kind of format. And that's been enough for him and his company to sort of make it through now that we're, we're sort of three quarters of the way through this. It does take a lot of marketing savvy, I think, in order to you know think on your feet and be able to find those markets. And as you said, this guy is, is American, so he must have had you know some connections um, in understanding what the American market wanted as well. It's a really challenging time. I'm hoping that professionals within the sector are getting together and sharing ideas. Is that happening? There is. I think there is to a, to a certain extent. And I think it depends where in Australia or where in the world you might be. There, there has been, I'm not going to lie, there has been sort of a decimation of the industry just because of that customer base has been turned off. So people, you know, have to put food on their table. So if they're not getting money from tourism, then they're, they're going to go out there and they're going to find work in other industries. There still is, for us in, in Victoria, there still is a core group of us that um, remain together and we do feed off each other. I think a lot of it, though, now we're sort of a year and a year and a half in, is a lot of emotional support, though, rather than innovation. Because we know we're sort of, we can sort of see the light at the end of the tunnel. It's just about getting us all there so we can relaunch. Actually, tell me about that. I mean, uh, I think a lot of people can relate to the mental struggle yep. of just getting through this. Yep. Um, I mean, for a time, we were all trying to find the best ideas. How do we do this? And um, that's been going on for a while now. But I think a lot of people expected this to be over a lot sooner. And that goalpost just keeps moving further and further away each time. You just when you think that it's just within your grasp, it escapes your grasp. So what do you think the community needs the most at the moment? And where are they getting it from? <laughs> we need tourism. Tourists would be great. <laughs> outside of tourists. Um, outside of tourists, it's just about support, really. You know, we had, a, we had to put off networking events in person for eight months or nine months in Melbourne. There was, you know, 20 or 30 of us turning up for it. And it was great just to be able to physically be in the same room as other people, share a drink, have a chat. You know, whoever we're talking to in the industry, we know the struggles that we're going through. So it's great just to have that kind of person just to soundboard off, essentially. Um, outside of emotional support and, and all this kind of thing, with these lockdowns that we're going in and out of the next three months or so, it's targeted automatic funding that's required to have that dynamic industry infrastructure there for when tourism returns. So if you can spell out exactly what you're calling on the government to do, because as I mentioned before, you're one of the more vocal yep. bodies yep. calling for needed support and we've seen you know various forms of support coming through through the pandemic where are we still short what do you still need 
So I'll run into this question with a couple of stats. Um, youth tourism is the number one earning or generating segment of the international market in Australia. 23% of visitor arrivals is international youth tourism. It represents 45% of international tourism spend, which is the largest segment of international tourism in terms of revenue. Australia needs a thriving adventure tourism infrastructure there for when the youth of the world come back to travel here, and they will. We've done heaps of work on the working holiday visa over the last year to enable this to happen so that when people do come back, they're here for longer and they're going to spend more and they're going to have a great time. However, to get to that point, we need a couple of things. One is we need funding to be automatic and direct and to be painless when we go in and out of these lockdowns. And both federal and state leaders have said that this is going to be a thing that's going to happen for the next two to three months. Now, that means that no domestic consumer is going to book a holiday anytime soon outside of 48 hours to a week's notice because they haven't got the confidence to book anywhere without it just getting ruined. Yeah. Beyond that, whether you want to call it JobKeeper or a wage subsidy, that's what we need to keep people in this industry so that there is something there for the tourists to check in with when they land on these planes because they're coming and they're going to come in big numbers and they're going to come here to spend their money because they've, like us, they've been locked away for two years and they've potentially been saving for two years. When they come here, they're going to have fun. So they need an industry and an infrastructure so we can facilitate that spend in Australia. And that wage subsidy gives the directors and employers and, and owners of the businesses certainty that they can keep their businesses open and pay their staff because it's the outside of you know, commercial rent. And it allows that infrastructure to be there for when the tourists return. Victoria has announced a grant, you know, $400 million in total yeah. Australian mm-hmm. for a seven-day lockdown. Mm-hmm. Is that enough? It's a great start. Do you think they heard you? <laughs> well, they I, might have I, read I, your press release. And... <laughs> I, think, I think, yeah, it'd be good if they did. I think there's, um, you know, there's self-interest in it as well. These politicians, they want to get elected next time as well. So they need to make this happen. But there's, there's certain parts of the tourism industry that have forgotten. You know, if you don't have a liquor license with a food license in Melbourne, then a lot of these grants aren't available to you. So if you just have an accommodation venue or if you have an accommodation venue that might have a small lobby bar and you might have a liquor license, then a lot of these grants, they're great in the news, but they just don't apply to you whatsoever. You've still got a lot of operators that are chasing lockdown grants from three lockdowns ago. You know, and at the moment, all these business owners and operators are digging into their own capital or their own savings or building more debt, trying to keep their staff employed. Do you think things will improve soon? I mean, it needs to. In my own head, I am, I've sort of justified that we're going to have two to three months of lockdowns now. We're going to be three weeks in, one week out, something like that. Vaccination rates are the key. You know, we need to get 70% and 80% benchmarks. And, you know, I'm no vaccine expert, but I watch the news a lot. And we, we need supply. The supply is coming. But we need to be really, really, really ambitious about how we get those rates up quickly. So we need incentives for people that are vaccinated to enjoy more freedoms. And for Australia to remove itself from this fortress Australia that we've put ourselves in, we just need that vaccination rate to increase and increase quickly. 
I think I'm not sure what level we're at now in vaccination. Are we something like 20%? Yeah, I think we're 23%-ish on two doses and 44-ish percent on single dose. So a long way to go. Yeah, a long way to go. But, you know, it's it's based on supply. So hopefully when all the supply kicks in in about three weeks' time, then we see a huge ramp up then and we'll see the demand increase from 20 to 40-year-olds who haven't really been able to access it until very recently. You know, then we've got to figure out how do we get that last little bit of the population to 70 and 80 percent. Well, I'm sure many people in the industry are keeping fingers crossed. You've been really optimistic that, you know, maybe after Christmas things will turn around, the vaccination rates will be up and we can therefore open our borders, our international borders, and young people will flood back right in straight away. I have been talking to some people, though, who are a little bit more pessimistic Mm -hmm. and they're hearing of the possibility that we might have to wait till 2025 before things actually start to normalize. Here we are, you know, talking about how we're hoping this nightmare will end by Christmas. Mm -hmm. It's just eerie to me that that's what people said before last Christmas and then we found out not so fast. I mean, what are your thoughts for the industry if we did have to wait that long? Again, I think it's all hypothetical, isn't it? I think we've sort of got to deal with what we've got in front of us now. I I somewhat agree with parts of that saying that, yeah, maybe it is 2025 before everything is back to normal pre-COVID. But there's going to be segments in tourism that return faster than others, which is unfortunate. However, for myself and my industry, I think that youth and adventure tourism is going to be one of the ones that rebound quite quickly and and rebound to levels similar to pre-COVID quite quickly as well, if we allow it. There's a an organisation called BiTap, which is sort of a federal ATV. They've done some modelling and, and some um, statistics on whether young people are prepared to pay for quarantine to come over to Australia before they start their holiday. And there's a, there's a fair percentage of those people that are willing to do that. Um, Wow. You know, you, you know, it's the same if you were to ask a 21-year-old Australian, would they be okay with going to quarantine in, you know, Europe for two weeks before going on a year's holiday? I think they would. Um, they've been locked up for a year or two now. They've got a little bit of saved money there. Two weeks for a holiday that might go for a year or two is not a huge ask. And in the grand scheme of things, it is not a, not a big thing for these guys. It's called adventure travel for a reason as well, is that this is an adventure. And I I think if there's going to be a segment of the population that are willing to risk something, it's the adventure travel industry. And I think our (laughs) segment, while it is almost decimated at the moment, it can rebound very quickly given the opportunity. So you think even if it was a quarantine requirement where it involved two weeks of um, a hotel stay cost, young people would still do that? Yeah, there, there has been surveys done that young people are, not everyone, but there's a percentage of people there that are worth chasing for sure. And it's, it's over 50%. So, Wow. Yeah. And we're not, we're not talking about sort of a four-week holiday to Australia where they do the East Coast and then go back again. This is, this is a holiday. This is, you know, the once-in-a-lifetime trip. And two weeks staying in a hotel that'll cost them two and a half, three thousand dollars $3,000. They might have saved ten, twelve, fifteen thousand dollars for this holiday, and the other part of it is that there's so much work going in Australia at the moment. There is such a critical labour shortage that all these young people can feel that they'll make that back in two weeks, straight away. As soon as they walk out the door, someone will throw them a job offer. 
You've made a really, really strong case. So I hope the government's listening and my fingers are crossed that, you know, this nightmare will be over sooner rather than later. It's a really challenging time for travel professionals. I mean, you know, personally, how do you keep motivated? Is there a book or a resource that, you know, you would recommend um, fellow professionals check it out? Um, I, I think it's staying connected with your industry and being somewhat grounded and sort of keeping that light at the end of the tunnel approach that every day that we keep on going is a day closer to planes landing again. Every news article that you see from the US and from Europe where things are starting to normalise is a day closer for Australia starting to normalise. Every day that closer to September now is a day closer to um, vaccinations being ramped up. So all of this is sort of bringing us towards a, a closer sense of normalness and just sort of being able to keep yourself grounded. I love that optimism. It's an optimism that I haven't heard in a while from fellow uh, travel professionals. So I've, I've really enjoyed this conversation. How do people connect with you if they wished, if they yeah, wanted to, to reach sure. out? So um, I suppose if, if you're in Melbourne or if you're in Victoria itself, jump on the ATV website, which is atv.org.au. ATV has got its own LinkedIn page, Facebook as well. So you can, um, you can feel free to connect with us via those channels. And this industry is all about networking and it's all about building connections. So the more, the merrier. Alex, it's been a real joy to speak with you. Thank you so much for sharing with us uh, some of your time. And yeah, hopefully, fingers crossed, it'll be a lot more good news from here rather than um, the rather disheartening news that we've been getting over the last year and more. So thank you so much. No worries at all. Thank you for having me. And hey, thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed the conversation. By the way, if you haven't heard yet, I've started an email list where I'll share some behind the scenes of the interviews you hear on this podcast. If that's your bag and you want to join, send me an email at uponarrivalpodcast at gmail.com. Oh, and don't forget to subscribe, rate and review this show if you like it. That would mean heaps. And join me again next week to uncover more stories and strategies for a successful future.